Well, good morning, church family. Good to see you. Good to... Man, what an exciting day. Like, is this not exciting right here? Man, this is what we're all about. We, we, we're glad you're here, came to worship with us, but man, we, we are in the business of leading people to Christ, and we want people to come to know how great God is. And so we're praying this is not the last baptism we have this year. We pray this becomes a weekly ritual, ritual thing for us every single week. And so, man, I'm excited. Got to calm myself down right now, uh, catch my breath because I'm out of shape. Maybe I should exercise a little more than I do, but that's uh, not what we're about today. Uh, hey, we, we are continuing our vision uh, series right now uh, called, uh, uh, what is our vision? Oh, yeah, uh, three-part vision is, is developing faithful followers, reaching our community, and multiplying the church. And a couple of weeks ago, we talked about what developing faithful followers were. And if you can refer back a little bit and remember, it was this image of, of being sitting under just Jesus Christ, letting him just fill you up. And there's an aspect of our life where this should look like what following Christ looks like in our life. He's just constantly pouring into us. And everywhere we go, it's, it's not that we're desperate for thirst. It says, out of the overflow, man, God is constantly filling us up. And so today, we're going to continue that talk with talking about reaching our community. But what, what is that? What does that mean? And so, um, if you have your Bibles, we'll be in Matthew chapter 28 today. We'll get there here in just a little bit. Now, the reason I use that illustration of water, why, why is that? Jesus often would describe himself in a manner, in a way of, of that, of satisfying our thirst. There, there is a spiritual thirst in everyone. And many of us try to find it in other avenues, other things. So, some try to pursue it and find that spiritual hunger being uh, met through careers, through family, through microphones that don't work, uh, you know, all sorts of good stuff like that. Uh, some of us pursue other means of doing it. Jesus even said in John chapter 7, he said this is about himself. He says, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. The one who believes in me, as the scripture has said, will have streams of living water flowing deep within him. Like There's a satisfaction that when we truly are walking with Christ, truly being disciples, that there's a, there's a thirst being met. We, we are being provided by Christ so much that, man, we are just satisfied every aspect. We, we don't find ourselves wanting more. We're thinking, man, I can't hold this in anymore, and there's an overflow that takes place. And so it's so important when we talk about our first aspect of developing faithful followers, you, you have to get that right. If you get anything else right, you have nothing else to pour back out to give to other people. What do you have to offer? And so if there's any part of our vision, it's that first part. It's how to develop as faithful followers. But we can't stop there because Christ has called us to more. Christ has not called us just to a personal relationship with him. He's called us into a community to go and spread this gospel. He's called us to do more. And so that's where the reach comes in. And that's where we'll talk about today. Let me just ask this. Uh, you don't got to raise your hand. Just kind of think about this. How many of you were introduced to your spouse or maybe someone you dated before, you had to be set up, if you will. Uh, for me, that was Emily and I. We, we started dating in high school. Uh, we were both sophomores, and uh, it just so happened our best friends were dating, and we thought it'd be a cool idea to go on a double date, and maybe we might start dating. And so as a couple of 15-year-old kids would, you know, we go out to eat at Shorty Smalls, go eat some food and stuff like that. Uh, I didn't really think about provide, paying for the meal, so I brought 20 bucks. And uh, I, a meal luckily cost $19.52, and I had enough for a 48-cent tip to give the waiter. So if you're that waiter, I apologize for cheaping you on the tip. Uh, it was a rookie move on my part. 
But that night we went back to Emily's house uh, and we uh, were hanging out watching a movie, Unbreakable, which was just a terrible movie. It was not good at all. And that, later that night we went to her backyard and started playing on a trampoline because that's what you do at 15, right? We're jumping on a trampoline and hanging out. And I've told my friends, I, I think I want to ask her to be my girlfriend. And so I, I told my best friend, Andrew, would you go on a scouting report to his girl, girlfriend, Laura, who's best friends with Emily, and say, would you find out if she's interested in being my girlfriend? And so Andrew went to Laura, and Laura went to Emily, and Emily went back to Laura, and Laura went back to Andrew, and Andrew goes, oh, she's interested. I said, oh, yeah, here we go. And so I'm the rest of the night trying to work up the courage to go and ask her out, and I've already got the APB. Hey, my friends have told me this is all good to go. I remember being outside playing the trampoline, and I, I'm trying to cool down and chill out, and I remember going like, into her house, and her house is just as hot as it was outside, and I remember opening the freezer trying to get some water, and man, that freezer felt so good. I find myself just, I literally am laying in the freezer. And her dad walks in behind me and goes, can I help you? And I go, I'm, I'm scrambling. I look, and I find he has coffee beans in it. And I said, you, you like coffee? He goes, yeah. I said, cool. And I put it back in and walked out like this is the worst day of my life. And so we go outside, and I, I tell Andrew, I said, hey, Andrew, I'm about to ask her out. Can you let Laura know that I'm about to ask her out and let Emily know? And so Andrew went and told Laura, and Laura told Emily, and Emily told Laura, and Andrew told me. said, hey, she's ready. Okay, we're good. And I said, leave us alone so I can do it. And, and they left. And then I'm building up the courage. I've got, I've got everything set up. It's all there. And we're going inside the house, and I'm holding the door, and we're about to go in. And I'm trying to, Emily's there, and I'm like, okay, you got to ask her before we go inside because they know, like, they're going to ask if you, you don't do this. And Emily, to break this awkward silence tension, goes, uh, thanks for the meal tonight. I said, that was really good. And I said the first thing that came to mind, and I said, yeah, you earned it. And she said the most appropriate thing possible, thanks. <laughs> I said, you're welcome. And I finally built up the courage. I looked at her and I said, um, some of them want to ask you all night, uh, Emily, would you? She goes, yes. I go, what? She goes, no, no, finish what you're saying. I said, no, what you think I was going to say? She goes, no, finish what you're saying. I go, no, no, tell me what you think I was going to say. She goes, finish what you're saying. I said, would you be my girlfriend? She said, yes. I said, awesome. Man, I was so smooth. <laughs> and uh, we've been dating ever since, you know, and married now. Here's, here's the thing. Uh, that night, man, I, I needed my friends to help connect all that. I needed a lot of help, believe it or not. They encouraged me. I needed that courage. Sometimes... Sometimes we need to be brought into relationships, don't we? I, I bring that into a point because th that's what the second part of our vision is about, is helping bringing people into a relationship with Jesus Christ. And a lot of times I think we get it mixed up on what reach means. The, the word reach, we, we, when the elders begin to process about what words, because every word had meaning in, in the vision. What, what does reach mean? It, it carries several definitions for it. One is this, to, to have an influence on or effect or impress. In other words, in a sentence, it'd be like, it has far-reaching effects. It could mean to stretch out an arm in a specified direction in order to touch or grasp something. In other words, like, he began to reach for the remote. Or it can mean to intentionally seek to establish communication with someone with the aim of offering or assistance or cooperation. In other words, like, he tried to reaching out to me to see if I could help. And all of those are true with what we're trying to do. We want to be intentional about people. The reality is for many of us, we think our goal is to bring people to God or bring people to church, and that's not what I see in Scripture. 
Instead, God has called us to bring God to them, to bring church to them. We wonder why people are not flocking to the church because you'll, you'll see later, this is not God's intention for us. It's for us to bring him to his people, to be ambassadors, to be a living lamp and to be an example. And, and so if you have your Bibles, Matthew chapter 28, verse 18 through 20 is one of the most, one of, next to probably John 3.16, I'd say it's probably one of the most well-known passages called the Great Commission. And it's the last words recorded in Matthew's gospel. This is after Jesus has been crucified, he's been dead, he's been resurrected, he's accomplished everything he said he would do. And according to Matthew's gospel, which is Matthew's account of Jesus' life, uh, what he's trying to talk about, these are the last words that Jesus says to the disciples here in his account. And his last words is a command, a commission, like, I have a job for you, and I'm commanding you to go do something. And it's the outcry for the church, everyone who comes to believe, everyone who calls himself a disciple of Jesus Christ to follow the commands Jesus places here. And so let's read what he says, because I think it's a misunderstood command. And we'll start back in verse 16 just to get some context. It says, The eleven disciples traveled to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. I'm going to be honest, that wasn't part of my thing, but isn't it interesting? Some still struggle. They're still doubting. After all they've seen, imagine that. They've seen Jesus beat, bruised, and they've seen him crucified on a cross. They've seen him buried and dead. And they see him resurrected with the scars in his hands and all that's going on, and some still doubted. Can I, can I say, there's a caveat just real quick in this. Listen, if you've ever struggled, can I understand? God still calls us into action even when we struggle with our doubts. It doesn't mean we have to have our act together and everything be perfect. I mean, I have to be perfect, polished product. Even when I'm still struggling, God says, listen, I can still use you. I just need a hint of faith. I just need a little bit. Sorry, that wasn't part of my sermon. That's just, that's just icing on the cake right there for you guys. Verse 18, it said, Jesus came near and said to them, he said, all authority has been given to me. Think about that for a second. Let that sink in. All authority has been given to me. In heaven and on earth, he said, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, which is what you just saw a few minutes ago, teaching them to observe or obey everything I've commanded you. And remember, I'm with you always to the end of the age. I understand something. I love, I stopped right there about Jesus saying, all authority has been given to me. In other words, he's saying, listen, I've done everything prescribed in Scripture to save you. I've done it all, and God has now given me authority to give this command. Not only do I have authority, but I'm also equipping you, giving you power to do it. I'm giving you everything you need. It's Jesus' authority and command is what calls us to do it and what allows us to do it, to carry out the command he's given to us. It's like if you're a person who enlists in the army at a service and you go and do it. Listen, when you go in, you are empowered and you are commanded to do something. You are given all the tools necessary to fulfill the job and you are given the authority to do it based on the authority above you. And because of who Jesus is, he's given you everything you need to fulfill what he's about to say. Everything. You are commanded and empowered. And so the question comes, what is the command? What is he calling us to do? And the word, what word sticks out to you? For most people, you'll see it's go, right? Go, we're called to go. And go is a powerful word. But understand, go is not the command. Go is describing what the command is doing. The command is to make disciples. 
Your calling is to make disciples. As a matter of fact, in the original Greek, this is why people geek out about studying Greek and everything about it. It's the Greek aorist imperative tense. In other words, it emphasizes the grammar that is used there. It emphasizes this. It means do this now at once for all. It's a command that stresses urgency. He's saying, listen, quit waiting. Quit lolling. Like there, there is no time to waste. You, you need to get after it quick. I need you to go make disciples. We're commanded to make disciples is what he calls us to do. Now, the question is, is, he's saying, listen, I want you to make disciples. Well, what are they going off of? They're going off the example that Jesus set. How did Jesus make disciples? We talked about that last time. In Matthew chapter 4, you see Jesus. Every time Jesus went to one of the disciples, how did it start? Hey, you need to do this, this. No, it's just this. Hey, come follow me. Would you just, would you just walk with me a bit? And just, just watch what I do, listen to what I say, and see what happens. Isn't it interesting it's not a command like, hey, you need to get saved right now. You need to acknowledge that you're a sinner going to hell. Like, he doesn't start with any of that sort of stuff. He doesn't start like, you need to go to church. You need, you need to read your Bible more. It's just this. Would you just come? Would you, would you just follow me? Would you just be with me? Like, Jesus develops faithful followers by letting them sit under him and watch him. And so we're called to do the same thing, to make disciples as Jesus makes disciples. And so Jesus tells us to make disciples, and the natural question for me, to be honest, when I'm reading this is, well, what exactly do I have to do? My kids are good kids, but to this day, and I think I did the same thing, they get this from me. If I come to them like, hey guys, listen, today uh, you guys need to go upstairs and clean up the playroom, they, they will ask me this, well, what exactly do I have to do? Now there's two parts, I think, to that question. One part is they don't want to let me down because they want to do exactly what I've asked. And sometimes probably it's like me. It's like, well, what's the bare minimum I have to do to get by, right? Let's just be honest. Like, they learned that from daddy right there. They ask, like, what do I have to clean? Like, what exactly do I have to clean? And so I will come and go, okay, well, here's what I want you to do. I want you to get up. I want you to go upstairs. I want you to pick up every toy. And I want you to put it where it's supposed to. And then once it's done, you come back downstairs and we're done. Like, that's what it is. That's what I want you to do. Can we do it? Jesus, I love, does the same thing with us right here. He uses three words used to describe what making disciples entails. There are three imperatives that describe the command. And they're ones you're probably familiar with. It's go, it's baptize, and it's teach. I want you to make disciples, but this is what it's going to look like. There's going to be involved going. There's going to involve baptizing, and there's going to involve teaching. And if you're not doing that, you're not fulfilling the command I've given you. It'd be like my kids saying, what exactly do I do? I need you to go upstairs. I need you to pick everything up. I need you to put it up. I need you to come back down. And my kids come go, Dad, we got the going up, and we got the coming down part. We missed the middle section right there. I'd say, you, you went on a walk, okay? That's what you did. Reality is, we have a command to do. So, so what does it look like to do this? What is reaching to us look like? What is making disciples according to the command look like? Well, the first one, look what he says. He says, go. It's the one everyone notice. Go, go is active, intentional engagement. In other words, he's saying, listen, I need you to go to people and go and tell them. Too often we sit here and say, well, man, if they're hungry, they'll come to me. They'll see. They'll, they'll come to me. No, he's calling us to go to them. It's about introducing people to the love of Christ. It, it's bringing God to people, not expecting people to come to God. There is a big difference in your approach to your mindset. It bothers me, I'm going to be honest, when people come to me and say, listen, I don't know any lost people. I don't know any that's not saved. And I'd say, then you need to broaden your circle a little bit because there's no way you can fulfill the command and not do it. 
It's like an enlisted soldier that has all the training, all the requirements, says, listen, I'm sorry, I'm just never, I'm not on the front lines. Then you're not fulfilling the requirement of what we have for you. At some point, you have to surround yourself with people who don't know the gospel so that they can hear the gospel so that something can take place. The reality is we often don't do that. And so we have a command to go. Now, some people get caught up on that word go because some people think it means as you go or, or it's a command to go. The Greek is kind of confusing. In some ways, some people say the go is an imperative that says, listen, no, you are expected to get up and go, be intentional about it. Others are saying, believe it's saying this, as you go about your daily lives, regardless, the command is this, if you are not going and you are not surrounding yourself in some way, shape, or form with people who need to hear the gospel, you're not going to the right places. And when we surround ourselves with Christian people only, listen, as much as we need that community, you, you are called to be enlisted in the work of God. And so it calls to go. It's not just to go, but it's to baptize. He says, I want you to go and baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. I think he talks about that because he's like, I want you to be baptized in the entirety of Christ. Now notice he doesn't say saved. He says baptize. Baptism helps establish their faith. Understand this. What, what Addison just did right here did not save her. This is not salvation right here. This is a symbol of salvation. You see, there's nothing about this water that saves you. I just filled it up from the back by the toilet. No, I'm kidding. It wasn't from the toilet. But I filled it up in the back, back there. Sorry, Addison. Didn't mean to make you scared. I filled it up in the back, back there. There's nothing special about this water, but what it symbolizes is special. You see, it makes our faith public. People can get saved, but sometimes we don't want to take the next step because, like, I don't want to do that. And there's an aspect that we need to connect our faith to the public. Say, listen, I need everyone to know and connect it back to the church. And so when he talks about baptizing, it's not just saving them, it's helping to begin publicizing, identifying their faith in Christ. It connects people to church and to live out their faith. I often, when I talk to kids, I equate it to a wedding ring. A wedding ring doesn't make you married. A wedding ring symbolizes my marriage. I wear it, why? So that when people see it and go, listen, Eric belongs to someone. It shows that I'm not ashamed and I'm not going to do it. I say that, and I'm not wearing my wedding ring today, so please don't judge. I was working outside a lot yesterday. As I drive in the car, coming here, I'm like, this is going to really kill my illustration right here. But it's the point of the matter. Listen, and I say the same thing, because I'm not wearing it doesn't mean I'm not married. But, it, but it's a symbol. And Christ wants us not just to be saved, but he wants us to publicly express that to everyone. Listen, I don't want you to be ashamed of me. I want you to start living out your, your, your marriage to me, as everyone can see. I want you to make it public. And so he says, I want you to not just go, but I want you to baptize them into the faith. I want you to help them to live out. I want you to help them connect their faith to the church, connect it to other people. And too often we don't do that. But it's not just that. He says, I want you to go. I want you to make disciples. I want you to baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. But not just that. I want you to teach them to observe or obey everything I've commanded you. And can I tell you, this is where we fall apart right here. Teaching means to equipping them to follow Christ. I saw a video of someone once talking about when people get saved, it's this huge celebration. Yeah, woo, we're all excited. Everyone's getting excited. We baptize them. And as soon as we baptize them, the crowd walks away and says, all right, we're good. We're going back to our life. And they're sitting there going, what now? They have no tools. They have no understanding of what it looks like to walk with Christ. If I were a betting man, I would say greater than 75% of you in this room have never been discipled of what it looks like to walk with Christ, what it looks like to pick up God's word, to read it, to live it out, what it looks like to pray to God in such a way that, that just looks faithful and authentic. You've never been shown how to do it. And yet Christ commands us what? To teach them to observe everything. What does he say? He says, everything that I've taught you. 
He's saying this, I want you to teach people to look like what it looks like to sit under the fountain. You you take people and you come and say, listen, I want to teach you what it looks like to, to do this right here. Because people are hungry for that when you're thirsty, right? And the reality is you get another, you get them, sorry, my cup illustration is not working. You have them sitting underneath you right here and you say, listen, I want you to just sit under me and just listen and watch what I do. And this is what it's supposed to look like to follow Christ. The reality is if we are not capable of taking people and having them sit under us and show them what it means, then we're missing an aspect of discipleship. Because you have to let them see what it looks like. You have to fulfill the great thing Jesus did, which is what? Come follow me. Now, I'm going to ask just a rhetorical question. Honestly, how many of you have had people do that for you? Listen, can, can I just be involved in your life? Would you just, can, can I come get involved in your life and just, can I come pray with you? Can we just read some scripture together? Can I tell you what God said? Can I confess sin to you and let you know what it looks like to be authentic in this? And we don't do that. Can, can I tell you, I've learned with my kids. My kids are good kids. I, I've learned they can repeat what I say, but ultimately they do what I do. I can tell them all day, this is what you're supposed to do, this is what it looks like. But ultimately, they look at daddy and what he does, they mimic that right there. And reality is people do the same for us. They don't want to hear us just preach at them, tell them what you need to do. They need to see it in our lives, lived out, authenticated, and say, that's what it looks like. I can hear it, I can smell it, but until I see it with my own eyes, until I do it with you, I'm never going to understand what this means to follow Christ. And we wonder why there's so many babes in Christ that just don't walk around because they've never been taught what it looks like to walk with him to bring him with them in everyday life, and we struggle. And and so you see this going, you see this baptizing, you see this teaching, which is, this is part of our reaching, this is what we're called to do, go make other faithful followers of Christ, go reach other people to do this. But but the question comes, well, who do we reach? Because a lot of people take this to be global missions, this is our call to take it to the whole world. And don't miss, he, he says that, doesn't he? He says, go therefore what? Make disciples of what? All nations. Nations there means in this language, when they use it throughout, it means Everyone, everywhere, no distinguish. Everyone needs to hear this gospel. And so the question naturally comes, well, is he talking about foreign missions? Is that what he's talking about? Because most people use this for foreign mission trips. And I'd say this, yes and no. Yes, it is included in foreign missions, but it's not precluded to just that. It's called to much more than that. Because if you read it just isolate that, you're missing the rest of the text. What? It's come, follow me. And so if our foreign missions does not allow people to come and follow me and sit under the well of our life and say, this is what it looks like, then we can't reach it. And so any of our missions, there has to be some aspect. How do we know they're being discipled? Who's doing that? We want to support them in part of it. We need to know that someone's teaching, because otherwise, that's cruelty. To come say, let me show you a splash of God and then walk away and they're like, I'm still thirsty. I still want more. And we have to teach them. We have to show them. And so for us, when we talked about it, we said this, we said discipleship for us, they have to have the ability to come and follow. That doesn't mean we don't reach the ends of the world. It means, practically speaking, the best place for us to do it is where? Those within our circle. It's those we come in contact every day. It's our community. Jesus would say later in Acts, he's like, you're going to be my witnesses. He says, in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. If you don't know where they're at, they're in Jerusalem right now. He's like, you're going to be my witnesses right here. Judea is the province that goes around. He's like, you're going to go around. It's like saying, listen, you're going to be my witnesses in Deer Creek. Then you're going to be my witnesses to Oklahoma. I want you to go to Oklahoma and reach all of them. Samaria would have been the people they detested. He said, then I want you to go to Texas because we can't stand them, but they need Christ, right? If you're from Texas, I'm sorry, in the room. Oh, I got a little little taste back there. (laughs) He says to the ends of the earth, 
He said, this gospel, when you live it out right, listen, it will spread. Here's the crazy thing to me. Listen, real quick. Jesus soon after leaves, and he leaves the mission, the command, the church in the hands of 11 men to carry it on. Can I just say real quick, listen, his strategy was, was not a building. His strategy was not a, a, a program, a class to sit under. His strategy was 11 men who would go and do what he did for them. Go mimic it. And once you do it, guess what? They'll do the same. And they'll do the same. And they'll do the same. And I just ask real quick, in your life, has that happened? Has anybody done that for you? Have you done that for anybody else? And we wonder why the church is fizzling away. I don't say this out of fear-mongering. Listen, I'm not worried about the church. You know why? Because Jesus said the church will not fail. Our church might. But the church itself will not fail. I believe in the sovereignty of God, and I believe he can take care of that. But for us, if we want to be effective for the kingdom work, if we want to do it, we have to do this. We have to intentionally reach our community. Go make other faithful followers and the people around us. We have to do that. And so for our community, we would say this. It's those who are in our sphere of influence. And so individually, if I'm talking to you, if I were sitting with you right now at a coffee or at a table and we were talking, I'd say individually for you, this would be your family. This would be your friends. This would be your coworkers. This would be your neighbors. This would be your clubs, your teams, whatever circles that you run into a regular pattern that you have the ability to say, come follow me. Come, let's be a part of our life. That's who your community is that you need to start reaching, be intentional with. For us as a church body, as us together, I would say this, our, our calling to reach our community is disengaged church members. People who are falling say, listen, we, we need to train you and teach you. We would say it's to Coffee Creek neighbors, the people right across the street. Do they even know our church exists, or do they pray that our church shuts down so we wouldn't be such a nuisance to them? It's our Deer Creek schools. We are in a prime location how we can miss not reaching the people right next to us and drive 25 miles out of the way to reach someone just misses some sense of the command to come and follow me and be a disciple, be a follower of Christ. It's our Deer Creek community. For me, I, I'm convicted of this very thing. Now, I'm not making excuses, but can I say this? When, when I stepped into ministry, in a lot of ways, I very difficultly stepped out of the mission field because you know what most of my life consists of? Being around church people. I, I don't have the job life. I don't have this sort of stuff. And so when Emily and I have had to find ourselves being intentional. And so for me in my life, I can't say we're doing this like in the last year. We've been very intentional about this. For us, it's our neighbor. We have a neighbor right next to us, Casey and his wife. We've been starting reaching them, started talking to them about our faith. We've been starting engaging them. We, how, how can we drive here and tell you about Christ and not talk to the people that live literally right next door to us? Every Wednesday night, I play basketball after youth, if I'm able and stuff, late at night. There's a group of guys that don't go to church anywhere, and I go and play basketball with the sole intention of just reaching them. I've been playing for the past six years. Occasionally afterwards, they invite me to Buffalo Wild Wings with them, and we sit, and can I tell you something? I don't press my faith. I just live my faith in front of them. I just talk when they ask, and we've had literally two-hour discussions over at dinner table from 11 to 1 a.m. at Buffalo Wild Wings while they're asking about Jesus Christ. What do you believe about this? I'm telling you this, not to applaud myself. I'm telling you this, that people are thirsty. Their cup is empty, and they're saying, man, I want to know, but they're not getting it. They're not seeing what we're seeing. Why? Because we're not fulfilling the great command. We're saying, come to me, where than us go and do. Jesus has called us to go. You, you all have a cup. If you can do me a favor and grab that at this point. If you use it for coffee, it's all right. I won't call you out in the middle of church service right now.
Here's the reality. I told you a couple weeks ago, this is what developing looks like. It means coming to a point, like, we, we pretend like this is church on Sunday. We come to church on Sunday, and we say, man, I, I need some good worship. I need some good feelings, some good preaching. And we, we pray for God to fill us up. Now, ultimately, this is what it looks like, that Christ should fill us up to where it's the overflow, man. He just, he, he doesn't stop. He doesn't say, you got enough. I'm going to stop with that. He continues to pour in us. The reality is many of us, I'm going to pour a little bit because I can't drink that much. The reality is he does this. So we come to church, and we get some, we're like, okay, I'm done with Sunday. Time to go about my week. And we have people in the community just like you sitting there with empty cups saying, man, I have. And we walk around and go, okay. What's up, guys? You guys doing good? Keep walking. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, man, this is hump day right here. My cup's about empty. We keep coming. We find ourselves Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Man, I'm dying of thirst. Woo, thank goodness for church. I got to get back up here and fill up again. God, give me a little more. And we go and repeat the cycle over and over and over again. And the reality is this, listen, even though Christ comes and fills my cup, when I walk around, what do people see? They see the same thing, I got just as much of the empty cup as they got, don't I? They can't see inside my cup. What's up, man, you doing good? And the reality is we think, okay, well, maybe people will see me. Maybe they'll see me at church or something like that, man. Why don't they see what's going on here? Maybe my reality is I need to get some church swag right here, right? Get your free cut back there. No, just kidding. Maybe if I wear this around, I come around, people see me rocking North Point and stuff like that. Listen, it might draw attention that my cup looks different, but ultimately, why they still? They don't see any difference from their cup to my cup. Just an outward, visible thing. There's nothing really different about it. And we don't understand. We say, well, listen, if people know, man, why don't they see our church? Why don't they see, like on Sundays, this is what we do. This is what it looks like right here. Like, why, why can't they see this? The reality is because this is what it looks like for them. Monday, Tuesday, guess what? I look no different, do I? They don't see behind our church walls. They don't see what's going on. We think, man, because I got church, because I walk with a cup, with some water, maybe they might come to understand the goodness of Christ. Maybe they come to understand. The reality is that's not what church was meant to be. Church was meant to be edifying, encouraging. The reality is, is when we walk with Christ, we have this with us. And as I develop as faithful followers, guess what? I'm walking by people. Hey, what's up, man? You doing good? Hey, man, you doing good? You doing good? You doing good? You doing good? They were privy to it. At least all but Macy was. Listen. Listen. Here's the point I'm trying to get at. Listen. When we develop as faithful followers and we walk around, Christ begins to pour out over, and people are sitting there, and they are dying of spiritual thirst. Can, can I say this? The reality is this. The truth is this. Some, some of you be annoyed by that. Can I tell you something? The gospel is offensive. And for some people, that splash will be annoying to them. It's just, it's just the, the product of what it is. But, but the reality is there, there are some people who are so dying for thirst, and when you walk by and you begin to splash the truth of who Jesus is, guess what? Suddenly they say, man, what, what do you got? I want what you have. 
I've been looking my whole life for this, and man, I tasted a little bit of just, just what God is pouring out over you. And suddenly when I come, and I won't come to it again, I come and I begin to get, connect with Coleman here, and I begin to live my life, and I'm doing this right over here, and guess what? If he's hungry and thirsty, suddenly God starts pouring into his cup. And suddenly I begin teaching him how to fill his own cup, what it looks like. Suddenly I start engaging him in the body. Listen, guess what? Suddenly it starts spreading. This is what the Great Commission looks like. It doesn't look like I'm coming and hiding behind church walls and say, man, I wish they would come. If they could just see what we're doing back here, it'd be sure awesome. No one wants to come to that because when we walk out, our cup looks just like theirs. And they're looking at us saying, what do you have that I don't? And the sad reality is many of us don't have anything there. We walk around with an empty cup praying that Sunday fills us back up when that was never a calling of what it was supposed to be. Christ was supposed to be a part of our everyday life. Every day, I walk around, and when I walk, I pour, and when I pour, people begin to say, what, what is a sprinkle of truth? Can I tell you, when I said those guys at Buffalo Wild Wings began to talk, I didn't press them. I said that, and they began to ask me, says, man, do you really think Jesus would ever love me? Yeah, I do. Well, why would you say that? I began to tell them about the truth, man, what Scripture says. Romans says, while we we're still sinners, Christ died for us. I believe that even in your worst Paul's sake, Christ would still send his son and die on the cross for your sins. Man, God can never forgive me. Man, I don't believe that. 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of all unrighteousness. If you just come and believe. I begin to live my life. Listen, I'm not perfect. I struggle. They see my imperfection. They know I'm not great, but some, they see splashes of truth that makes them hunger and thirst for it. L listen, if, if we are going to reach this world, if we are going to go make an influence on this community, listen, you, you have to go home and start doing this with your family. Your kids have to see this. Your, your neighbors have to see this. Your coworkers have to see this. Your teams, your, your, your people, your, your, whoever you're in life with. If you don't have people, go find a basketball group. and join, Do something. And, and can I say this? Listen, if this always stays behind those church walls, the church will always be ineffective. That's not what he's called us to do. And so as elders, when we set in process of what does it look like reaching our community, it says this, we have to intentionally go out. And we have to engage people that are in our line, in our circle of influence, and we begin to pour the truth. Not over them, say you need us. We just start to live our faith out in front of them and see what God does. Some will be repulsed by it. Some will be annoyed right now that they're soaking wet. Some, some will hunger for it. And I can promise you from experience, they will ask, tell me about your God. So, so let, me, let me ask this, just as we summarize it up, like, where, where are you at? What's keeping you from bringing Christ to your home, to your neighborhood, to your community, to your coworkers? If you're intimidated, because I, like, I don't know what this looks like, listen, you, you, need to, you need to maybe find someone to disciple you. Find someone you respect and say, hey, would you pour in? I need, I need help. Would you do a Bible study with me? Would you teach me how to pray? Chris Mall, every Saturday, they have a guys group that meets at his house. with just That's, that's their focus right there is just to do that. Talk to Farrah Cox in the women's ministry if you're interested. Like, there's no excuse of where you can't find it. That's what connecting groups are hope. It's not about us coming once a week. It's about us encouraging throughout the week. I love being a part of some groups where I get to see you guys engaged and encourage you. That is community. That is church. It continues. It doesn't just stop on Sundays. It's encouraging to keep pouring Christ out where you go. And so, so my plea as we wrap up is this. You, you all have a cup. You can throw it away on your way out, or maybe you take it home. But here's your, here's your challenge. Go fill your cup. Go home. Go, go to work and, and fill your cup. Does this mean you've got to be the Bible thumper? No, just find a way to bring Jesus into your life, for goodness sakes. I naturally find myself talking about my kids and my family. Why? Because they're part of my life. 
Every conversation, some people get tired. They're part of my life. I can't help. It comes up. Make Jesus a part of your life. And so I'm going to pray, and the team's going to come up and lead us in some time of worship. But maybe you need encouragement to do that. We'll have elders available up here. Maybe you just need someone to pray. Like, I just need prayer and encouragement to fall through on this. Maybe you need discipleship. You need to pray for someone to come in your life and disciple you. Maybe you need to get saved. You're walking around with an empty cup, and you think because you came to church you'll get filled. Listen, at some point you have to say, Jesus, I need you to save me. No amount of Bible reading, no amount of reading Scripture, no amount of praying can save you. It's, it's by what Jesus Christ did on the cross for your sins, and you have to come to a point of your own, just as Addison did, and say, listen, I need him to save me. So I pray that for our church, and I pray that we be faithful. I love our goal back there. We've done Reach 5 Challenge. I don't know if you know, we started back in March. We have 335 balls right there right now. It's 335 people that were at least invited that you've had to strike up a conversation and say, would you come to church with me? 335 more people. And some of you are the product of that. You need to be after it. We need to go and fulfill the command. Let me pray. Father God, I pray that my words struck home to somebody. I pray they convicted, but I pray they encouraged. God, I want to beat people up with the gospel. I want them to be motivated by the gospel. So God, help us just to understand that the calling is because of what you've done in us. And so I thank you for dying on the cross for our sins, and I thank you for equipping us and empowering us and commanding us to, to live this out. But God, I pray that we would do it. God, I pray for those that have sound my voice that have not come to a point and given their life to you, whether it be through salvation or just the faithfulness and the command you've given. God, I pray they would do that today. God, as I'm going to be up here and other elders, God, I pray they'd come and respond. I pray for any of those that sound my voice or sit in their seats and feel convicted. God, I pray they would leave here and do something about it. Maybe they would talk with their connecting group and say, guys, how can we encourage each other in this? That's what the church is for. But God, help us reach our community. God, I, I, don't, I don't want to be just relevant. God, I, I want to be impactful for your kingdom. Let's help us to do that. God, I praise you so much. I pray you would call us into action. Jesus, I pray. JD, one of our elders will be right over here. Uh, I'll be right over here. I'd love to just pray for you, encourage you, maybe, maybe share with you about